Um, Bob did a great job. Always brings content, and that's what we want. We want content. We, we want solid food that we can learn from and digest. So it was really good. Um, so thank you, Bob, for that. And I'm doing a discipleship thing tonight. And then, actually, this is not a new discipleship series. Next week, I'm going to start uh, a little series on the five love languages, a book by Gary Chapman. And I don't know how much of his material I'll use, but I know the concepts in that book, um, the idea that we receive love differently, different people are, feel love in different ways in these different languages. And very biblical content, and I think you will enjoy that. And we'll learn more about how to fulfill uh, Jesus' commandment to love our neighbor as ourself, uh, I think, through that book. So excited about that. By the way, so I, I'm sitting here on the pew just now, John Scott. We're singing and everything, and I'm like, where is my phone? And I read some, I don't have it. I left it at home, and it feels bad, dude. <laughs> I feel like I'm, I'm like itchy to get out of here and get home. So maybe a quick sermon. And I read something a while back. It, I read something about how, how people view phones differently. Like older people, it's a device that they use. Younger people, it's an appendage. It is part, really, that they, it's part of them. And so I'm feeling kind of young tonight, I think, because I really feel like I left one of my arms at home or something. I'm like, is Isla trying to text me? Is he? Anyway, so we're going to be okay. It's good for me. It's good for me. <sighs> Thanks. Rubbing that in. Bob said he has his phone, so. <sighs> okay. <laughs> Tonight, we're going to talk about discipleship. I'm calling it Discipleship 101. And really what it is, is just a brief exp exploration of what it means when we call Jesus Lord. And discipleship, now we've talked about this, obviously we talk about this a lot, but we've talked about this, uh, this nuance before between the term disciple, disciple, and the term Christian. Both, by the way, are in the Bible, in the New Testament. Um, so they're biblical. It's a good way to label yourself or to label someone. Um, they're biblical. Um, but, and we've made this point before, and we're going to talk a little bit more about this, um, one of those two terms, I think you can confidently uh, affirm one of those two terms is much preferred by the New Testament writers. Disciple, that term, or methates, is used about 300 times in the New Testament. Okay? The other, Christian, uh, or Christanos, that's used three times. Okay, 300, disciple, three, Christian. They're both in the Bible. They're both okay. They're good, all right? But I'm not good at math, but even I know that one of those is used 100 times more than the other, all right? So one of them, it's no stretch to say, is preferred by the New Testament writers. So is there a point here? Is there something of import here? Well, uh, let's take it into the contemporary world, all right? There is a term that has come into vogue in some circles recently. It is the term athleisure. Athleisure. Athlete, athleisure. Uh, according to Merriam-Webster, that's a word, okay? It is a real word. Um, and athleisure has grown about 5% every year since 2009 from a $54 billion business to a $68 billion business 
Um, and this trend, athleisure trend, we'll talk more about what this means, it accounted for nearly all of the growth in the athletic apparel market, uh, footwear accessories during this time period. So what, what are we talking about here? People, people in American cities um, were wearing pricey high-end athletic gear produced by, and I don't even know how to pronounce all the names of these companies. I'm sure some of you will laugh at me, but Lululemon, okay? Um, I think that's how you say it. Lucy, Lorna Jane, Gap Body, Athleta, and Nike. I can say Nike, okay? Uh, and people, this is the deal, people are wearing this athletic apparel everywhere, including the office, all right? Uh, the New York Times estimated that this market is going to hit $100 billion by the end of the year. So, what is athleisure? You probably can figure it out. Um, well, it's the new word to talk about. People who enjoy wearing athletic gear, but not necessarily wearing athletic gear for athletic purposes, all right? Not, not even thinking about working out in it, right? Um, so the New York Times article explained, quote, for many wearers, the, <laughs> I love this, for many wearers, the athletic part of athleisure remains aspirational. Um, for example, sales of yoga clothes increased 10 times as much as actual participation in yoga classes. Um, the point is this, by all appearances, Americans like the workout look not so much the workouts, all right? Um, they like the look, not the lifestyle. Um, back to disciple versus Christian. Um, that latter term, Christian, I'm a Christian, she's a Christian, we're a Christian nation. Uh, that latter term, Christian, is used a lot of times by folks who are really only, let's say, minimally, I don't even like the word committed, Minimally, minimally associated with Jesus. Um, really, it may mean nothing more, I'm a Christian, than if I had to choose which religion I fit into, I guess I'm a Christian. Uh, or it means my family that I grew up in is a Christian family, or my grandparents are Christian, and, and I'm more that than Muslim, and I'm not really an atheist, so I more identify with that. Um, so over put this in perspective, over 80% of Americans consider themselves Christians, all right? So over 8 out of 10 people you run into out there consider themselves to be Christians. Um, the upshot is less than 20% are involved in a church. If I, and this might be, this is me, uh, my opinion, but I would put that like less than 20% go to a gym. Less than 20% are working out, okay? Um, now, it would seem that Americans do like the Christian look, but not so much the Christian lifestyle. All right, so let's get back to this idea of a disciple. A disciple is a person devoted to a master, all right? A disciple. Um, namely, in, in this case, we're talking about Jesus, obviously, as the Lord, as the master. He is... Their Savior, He is more than that. He is their guide. He is their shepherd. Um, uh, uh, he, uh, they, are, they follow Jesus. All right? 
Um, so to be clear, in the United States, culturally, you can be, culturally, all right, culturally you can be a Christian and not be a disciple. All right? I don't think that's a very controversial thing to affirm. So when a woman, when a man decides to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, the point here is they should never reduce their faith to just being a get-out-of-hell-free card, all right? Something like that. Um, no. Um, they've made a declaration that Jesus is Lord, uh, that His reign is going to occur in their life, emerge in their life, grow in their life. Um, so to be, a Christ, to, to, be, to be a Christian or to be a disciple in the New Testament, not the cultural, but the New Testament sense, isn't to say... Jesus is Lord in some kind of vague religious-y sense, but in a meaningful way, in a substantial way, in, in, in an authoritative way in their day-to-day -day life, okay? Well, I'm going to let Jesus make this argument because I don't need to opine anymore about this. Jesus had a lot to say about this topic, all right? And toward the end of his, of his famous sermon, his Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 7... Jesus essentially said that to confess him with your lips but not your life is a lie, right? Um, he said in verse 21 there in Matthew chapter 7, these are Jesus' words, okay? He said, look guys, well, okay, he didn't say look guys. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Jesus so is drawing a distinction. People who say one thing or call themselves something, and then people who actually live that way, who actually embody what they're affirming with their lips. So there is forgiveness, there is grace, there is joy, there is hope in the life of the disciple, and there is cost. There's a price. There's a cross. Um, so, just kind of explore this idea with me by taking a little trip with me here. Uh, it was not too long ago, a few years back, that Isla and I got to go to the Pepperdine Lectureships. Um, so we fly out there to, uh, to LAX, and we rent a car, and we're going to make that drive hour, if traffic is bad, more like an hour and a half. Uh, drive up the coast to Malibu. And so we pick up this rental car. We pick up a Ford Taurus. I really like that car. Nice car. Um, now, some minutes after leaving the airport, a discovery was made that made the Taurus a little bit cooler, all right? At least for me. Um, the car was equipped with this dual climate control. Some of you actually have this in your cars, all right? Dual climate control. We don't have that in our car, so we were intrigued by this. Um, the dual climate control, you know what it means. It, it means essentially that I'm on one side, Isla's on the other side. That's my wife. And we each have a set of controls and can influence the temperature on our side of the car. Pretty cool. Um, now, I think most of the married couples probably can relate. 
Isla and I have very different ideas about what the right temperature is. Whether it's in the car, whether it's in the bedroom, we have different ideas about the thermostat, about the temperature. Uh, and my understanding is most husbands, not all, most husbands prefer it uh, a little bit cooler than the wife, although there are exceptions. And maybe this is God's, or evidence of God's sense of humor, how he likes to put a husband and a wife together who don't agree on temperature. I don't know. Um, I like it cooler. She likes it warmer. So Isla, literally, she will run the seat warmer in our car 12 months out of the year. Doesn't matter. It can be 105. The seat warmer is on, and it is on high, not low. Okay? Um, what she considers to be just right in terms of temperature is Sahara blast furnace to me. And what I consider just right is Arctic, you know, Arctic deluge of wind, according to her. So there we are, rental car, California. Uh, we seemed like the ideal couple for this feature, for this climate control feature. Uh, she could be happy with the temperature on her side. I could be happy with the temperature on my side. Perfect, everybody's happy. Not exactly. I'm guessing this feature, the dual climate control, works much better in, say, a suburban, all right? Works much better in a, a, an expedition or something of that ilk, not a Taurus. So she turned her dial to about 77, which is right for her. I turned mine to 70, nice for me. And this worked for, I'm going to say, a couple of minutes, all right? It worked. Um, we were happy for a couple of brief moments. Uh, but this is a Taurus. This is not a Suburban. So you had, after two minutes or even before that, you had her warm air creeping over to my side. And my cold air creeping. I was actually afraid there might be a tornado in the car because I've heard when warm air goes, it's a tornado. there was a bit of a tornado, but yeah, we won't go into that. Um, she ended, so then... Of course, I had to adjust, right? So I go from 70 down to click, 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 down to 67. And she had to adjust. She, she goes click, 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 click up to 80. Now you kind of see where this is going. <laughs> this is the funny thing. And married couples, can I, can I, I'm sure, relate to this. Neither of us said a word at this point. Um, we just kept making the adjustments. Uh, in no time, Isla had hers up to the maximum heat level. I had mine turned down to the maximum cool level. Uh, I think it was like 59 degrees or something. So Sahara from one side, uh, Antarctica from the other side of the vents, right? Now you get the picture. The result was not happy for either one of us. The result was kind of frankly miserable for both of us. In the end, we did okay. Our marriage has survived. Thank you, God. Um, but in the end, it's California. I think we agreed roll the windows down, enjoy, right? I mean, that's what we did. Um, and when it comes to different, let's say, approaches to Christianity, a very common approach, I think you could label the dual climate control approach. I mean, it's, hey, Jesus, welcome into my life. There you go. Make yourself comfortable. I'm going to give you a set of controls over there. You can control those dials, but I am most certainly over here controlling my dials, right? You get your dials, I get my dials. Um, occasionally, you can have a turn at the steering wheel. Not always, but occasionally. So basically, 
this approach welcomes Jesus. Welcome into my life, but only in an advisory capacity, okay? Um, you can tweak the dials on your side. I'm definitely going to keep some control. Um, dual climate control Christianity. You with me? I think we see this in the New Testament in a lot of places. Um, certainly one of those places would be in, in the ancient city of Laodicea. We remember that, that letter that Jesus wrote this church in the book of Revelation. Well, he says in chapter 3, verse 16, to the Laodiceans, he says, but since you are, are, are like lukewarm water, which is what happens when, when the hot and the cold mix, you're lukewarm water, uh, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Literally, the Greek could be translated, sorry, but vomit, I'll vomit you. And some translations, I think, actually have that. So pretty, pretty strong words from Jesus, right? Um, but there's mercy and there's tenderness as well in the words he shared. We remember that verse, but he also shares with the Laodiceans in verse 19, I correct and I discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. That's verse 19. So Jesus is also wooing them. Jesus is also trying to win them back. He's, he's sharing with them, I love you. I discipline who I love. I love you guys. That's why I'm, I'm talking like this with you. Um, so to go a little deeper into this idea of, let's say, discipleship or authentic Christianity, we're going to turn to something Jesus had to say in Mark chapter 8. If you have a Bible, please open that Bible to Mark chapter 8, or on your phone, if you remember to bring your phone tonight, you can use that. Open up to Mark chapter 8, because we're going to look at a text here that I think is important. Another place Jesus kind of talks about how discipleship is designed to work, all right? And we're going to start out, and then we're going to pause really quickly in this text. Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 34. Mark writes this, then, calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, that's where we're going to stop. Mark says, then calling the crowd to join his disciples, comma, he said. I think there's a lot there. Big crowd. Adoring, let's say, adoring fans of Jesus. Miracles. Uh, the preaching, I mean, he's dynamic. The way he relates to people. A big crowd around Jesus. There almost always was, at least during a certain time, during his ministry. And then, within that crowd, we have the committed. We have a much smaller group that Jesus is calling, or that Mark is calling here, the, the disciples. Did you catch that? The crowd, and then the disciples. Now, notice what Jesus is doing here. Mark says he is calling the crowd to join the disciples. He's calling this, he's not, he's not telling off the larger group. He's not dismissing the larger group. He is inviting them to join the disciples, to become a follower and not just a fan. To become a follower and not just a fan. And nowhere... In the Gospels, do you see Jesus cultivating his fan base, right? Uh, what you find him doing 24-7 is this, this invitation for people to go deeper, 
for people to take his lordship seriously, for people to become disciples. All right? Um, now, as we get back to the text, we've got to remember that because Jesus loves us, he tells us the truth, right? Um, so he always shoots straight with us, so we're going to hop back in there to verse 34. Right after Mark said, he's inviting the crowd to become disciples. So here we go. If any of you, this is Jesus, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, you must take up your cross and follow me. Verse 35, if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what, and this is a good question to think about here, he says, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? So again, strong words from the Savior. Honestly, most people decided this was too strong. This was too strong for their liking. They were not going to go with Jesus where he was leading. Most people dropped out, okay? Um, so out of that large group that thought he was asking too much, there was a subset there that opted for a sort of watered-down Christianity where they, they believed they got their ticket punched to heaven but really didn't have to change much, were able to retain control of their life, were able to continue to adjust the temperature of their life according to their satisfaction. Now, others, of course, just rejected Jesus altogether, said enough, and walked away. Uh, now, given what Jesus said to the folks in Laodicea, we know that Jesus, uh, that, that for Jesus, that first option, that kind of watered-down, weakened version of Christianity, that's not an option, okay? That's not an option for Jesus. Based on what he said I believe, and we could discuss this later, but based on what he said, I believe that Jesus would rather be totally rejected than be partially accepted. I think you can make a case there. It looks like Jesus would rather, hot or cold, than, eh, I'll accept a little Jesus. Get a little lukewarm about that, you know. He would rather be totally rejected than partially accepted. And I know that's strong, but I, that's what I see here. So dual climate control Christianity isn't biblical Christianity. Um, either <laughs> the guy that sold us our first house, this old Baptist guy, uh, Paul Methvin was his name. He told me one time, he said, Gordon, he said, either Jesus is Lord or he isn't. I like that. Um, either Jesus is Lord or he's not Lord. Um, he controls the climate in your life, that's lordship, or he doesn't. Um, he's not looking for a part-time position in your life. Either he is the CEO of your life, or he's not. He's not interested in, in getting employee of the month. Hey, Jesus did a great job answering that prayer last month. Put your picture up on the wall there. Good job. Now, 
if this sounds, here's where we need to kind of start thinking here. If this sounds like bad news to you, I would suggest you don't understand the gospel. Sorry, but I think you don't get the good news. The bold claim that Jesus is making is a claim that leads to life. It is a a claim that leads you to abundance. Um, So the irony with Jesus speaks to this as he says, those who try to hold on to their life end up what? They end up losing it. And those who let go and surrender him, they end up walking right into life. Right? Um, so those poor, conflicted souls who can't turn loose of the controls, they end up very unhappy. Very unhappy. So this bold claim that Jesus makes, does it sound like good news, gospel, or does it sound like bad news? Um, I think if we really knew his heart for us, if we knew just got a glimpse of how much he loves us, then his call to discipleship sounds really good. Really good. Um, Now, letting go of watered-down life and finding the real potent life in Jesus, um, that's where it's at. His lordship unleashes God's blessing into my life and God's uh, blessing from my life into the world around me. So... Disciples realize, and I I think I tweeted this last week, disciples realize that in order to grow, there is this very important truth at work. I need to get comfortable being uncomfortable. I don't grow unless I get comfortable being uncomfortable. And Jesus was always making people uncomfortable because he wanted to see them grow. He wanted to see them become their best selves. So Jesus encourages the ambivalent eh, crowds to think about it. Hypothetically, um, what if, on the other side, what if you let your ego, um, what if you let your ambition, what if you let your agenda, what if you let your selfishness just run wild? Um, And hypothetically, Jesus even asks, what if it actually worked? What if you actually conquered everything, every dream you could imagine? You have it all, but it costs you your soul. Jesus says, and I don't even know that that's possible, but what if it were, Jesus said? What if you could gain the whole world and the price is your soul? Truth is, Jesus gave up his life for you on the cross because of his deep love for you. He gave up his life so that you could find yours. Now, when I try to squeeze Jesus into what works for me, when I try to kind of jerry-rig it so he fits into my dual climate control version of Christianity, I end up choking out the life that the Holy Spirit aims to bring to me. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you've probably heard of him, famous German pastor who was arrested by the Nazis and eventually killed by the Nazis. He wrote a lot of wonderful things about faith, 
um, one of the things he wrote which really makes you think is this. He said, quote, When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And I wonder, just looking at myself, and I know I fall short all the time, I wonder what are the things in my life that need to die, that need to fall away so that Jesus can have room to work with me. Where do I need to die? Where do you need to die? Um, Are there places in my life? Are there places in my career? Are there places in the way I do parenting? Are there places in, in my finances? Are there places in terms of my future plans where, quite frankly, Jesus isn't Lord? Now, I don't think, and this is, I'll take a little weight off your shoulders here, okay, as we finish up tonight. I don't think Jesus is saying all of this with the purpose or the intention of making you feel bad. I don't think that's what he wants to do. I don't think this is uh, an attempt by Jesus to make everyone feel guilty, all right? Um, uh, It's just the life-giving challenge to ask ourselves if we will be content being fans of Jesus or if we want more, if we want to be followers of Jesus. I think that's what he's constantly asking people to consider. Um, His promise to you and me in the end is found in verse 35. He said to us, he said, if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, and he's not talking about literally dying, right? At least to most people, that's not what he's asking them to do. But he says, if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, if you go all in, with me, you will save it. I recently ran into a prayer, fascinating because of who uttered these words. It's a prayer attributed to a a Muslim man named Mustafa who gave his life to Christ. And I'll read you this prayer. Oh God, I am Mustafa the tailor, and I work at the shop of Muhammad. The whole day long I sit and pull the needle and the thread through the cloth. O God, you are the needle, and I am the thread. I am attached to you, and I follow you. When the thread tries to slip away from the needle, It becomes tangled and must be cut so it can be put back in the right place. Oh God, help me to follow you wherever you lead me. For I am really only Mustafa the tailor and I work in the shop of Muhammad on the great square. You are the needle. I'm the thread. You give direction you lead, I follow. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, your words about discipleship are strong words. And they're words that not only folks in the first century 
in the crowds watching you work wonders, not only words that they needed to hear, but words that I need to hear, words that we need to hear. Again, give us ears to hear. And may we answer your call to move from fan status to follower status, to surrender all of the controls of our lives so that you can truly be Lord. You can save our soul, and you can give us life. This is our prayer in your name. Amen. Let's be standing together. Let's worship.